This morning's Bible reading comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 1. I'll be reading verses 18 to 25. You will find the words on the screen behind me or in some of the, under some of the seats in front of you, uh, the Bible's there. You will find it on page 783. Matthew, chapter 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Friends, it's always uh, exciting to be together as we approach this uh, Christmas season and uh, think again about the, the birth of Christ, who he is, what he came to accomplish for us. And uh, I've called today's sermon the God-Man-Saviour. We want to think of the whole idea that Jesus is God in human flesh, but is also fully man who comes to save us. In his book, A Hell of a Life, Aussie author John Dixon writes this. I read somewhere, faith is stranger than fiction because we write fiction to suit ourselves. It said, I think it's often the case, stories that are invented for mass consumption are usually molded to what the public is likely to believe. True stories, on the other hand, are not invented for the public. They just happen, and because of this, are often more bizarre than anything you could make up. And it gives us a few weird examples. In Italy, it says, for around $6,245, you can buy a ready-made coffin that has beepers, two-way speakers, a torch, a small oxygen tank, and a sensor to detect a person's heartbeat, just in case. In Oklahoma, I love this one, there is a law which forbids giving alcohol to fish. There must have been a reason behind it. In Greenberry Hill, London, in 1641, three men were hanged for the murder of a local magistrate. Remember what I said? In Greenberry Hill. By pure coincidence, their surnames were Green, Berry, and Hill. So in 1664, 1785, and 1860, a passenger ferry sank while crossing the Menai Strait off North Wales. Amazingly, each disaster occurred on December the 5th. More bizarre than this, however, is that on all three occasions, the name of the sole survivor was Hugh Williams. Go work that out. And he says, these stories, because his research is 100% true, they are good evidence that fact is often stranger than fiction. Then he says, the birth of Jesus, recorded in the original biographies, 
is another bizarre example of this stranger-than-fiction principle. Angels, virgin birth, God becoming man, king born in a little country town, born in a barn or a cave, the king of the universe placed in a manger, shepherds, wise men, gifts. It seems unbelievable, he writes, but fact is often stranger than fiction. So who is this Jesus that we celebrate? Why is it so important to get to know these facts? Firstly, he's Jesus, which means God saves. If you'll give birth to a son, you're to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. First thing to realize this Christmas season is that the name Jesus means God saves. Jesus is derived from the Old Testament name Joshua, which means Yahweh, God is salvation. So whenever you say the name Jesus, you think Joshua, the Lord is salvation, Yahweh is salvation. And so God's gift to us is a Jesus who will rescue us, who will save us, the Bible says, from our sins. I don't know about you, but at Christmas time, it's very hard to talk about sin, failures, brokenness, rebellion. We talk about gifts and good food. I've been out three times this week. The Oatley Pub for dinner, Parmigiana. Wednesday night, the Lantern Club, Parmigiana. <laughs> I was going to go three goes in a row because Thursday night we went out with the deacons and so I went for Greek instead. <laughs> right. But it's about food and it's about telling the stories and we're going to go on holidays and somehow we're told though that Jesus has come to save him, people from their sins. Oh, let's not talk sins. This is Christmas. <laughs> this is the fun time, right? I find it interesting that uh, a few years ago I was uh, walking through Roseland Shopping Centre. It was after Stan Walker, um, Australian Idol winner, um, released an, an album and he had the song Amazing Grace. And sometimes you just realise how grating the words are if you hear them. I'm in the shopping centre, it's Christmassy, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And we sing it, and the carols with a great abandon and joy. You're calling yourself a wretch, a miserable and worthless creature. Effectively, you're saying, I was a sinner. I had no hope in the world without Jesus. It's interesting, we can sing those words, and the world can sing those words with no appreciation of what they mean. But you see, Christ has come to be a saviour. I was once was lost, but now I'm found. And so Christmas reminds us that we've all sinned, rebelled against God and gone our own way. And we see that in many ways. Sadly, Christmas often brings out the worst in people. I wonder whether you've experienced that so far. This year, maybe later. I've seen people, uh, mothers or fathers, shout and abuse children in shopping centres because of the way in which they run around, or they're too noisy. I always want to say, did you realise it's Christmas? It's a time of joy and peace. People driving past and they're beeping their horns because they can't get out of the shopping centre. Buying Christmas gifts to share in joy with others. It's a difficult time. I was reading a story of a man who ended up killing and shooting his wife to death because... They were arguing about whether to take the, de- uh, the light decorations down from their house in January. 
There was debate about the lights. And then we found out that also that she had hit him over the head with a miniature statue of an angel. Impress- forensic analysis showed he had blood was on, on the object. It's lights. It's decorations, people. And yet somehow in this period of time, and you all know, lifeline numbers, phone calls go up. Loneliness increases. Domestic violence increases at this time. Be very, very careful. Be very sensible and loving in how you treat one another. So even at this Christmas time, we're reminded that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He comes to save us because we need saving, don't we? But who is he? He is Emmanuel, God with us. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, this is a unique truth in the Christian faith, and you need to hold on to this truth, that in Jesus we see the fullness of God. Now, a number of years ago, uh, we had a, a, a young fellow who was studying uh, at Bible college, and, or had studied at Bible college, he got to speak. This is at a previous church, and uh, I was there listening, and he was just filling in for the day. And he was trying to defend Christianity against the atheists at that point. And he said something like this. You see, but we believe that Jesus, unlike the atheists, we believe that Jesus is 50% God and 50% man. Now, you should be shocked by that, right? (laughs) All the antennas went, no, how can he say that in a Christian church? He misunderstood the person of Jesus. Immediately after, no, no, he's 100% God and he's 100% man. That's the truth of Christianity. Not everyone understands that. Let me give you an idea of what some others hold to. Jehovah's Witnesses say that Jesus was merely Michael the Archangel, a created being that became a man. So when you have conversation, realize they have a different understanding of Jesus. Mormonism teaches that Jesus was not God, but only a man who became one of many gods, further teaches that he was a polygamist and a half-brother of Lucifer. Buddhism teaches that Jesus was not God, but rather an enlightened man like Buddha. Hinduism has many views of Jesus, but does not consider him to be the only God, but most likely a wise man or incarnation of God, much like Krishna. Islam teaches that Jesus was merely a man and a prophet who is, in fact, inferior to Muhammad. The New Testament says something very different. In John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word is a reference to Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. So the Word of God, Jesus, was there at the very beginning of the world. He was and is the Creator who breathed life into the very first people and continues to breathe life into us. He was with God and was God. It speaks of the Trinity here, you see, because we believe God is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all God, yet distinct from one another. And then 2,000 years ago at Christmas, he was born. The Word became flesh. You know the one we're talking about who was with God and was God at the beginning, who breathed into us, who created the world? Then he stepped into human history at Christmas. He became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. In Christ, we see God 
and we see perfected man. People will sometimes say to you, and uh, so when did Jesus say he was God? Come on, okay, he's the son of God, but when did he say he was God? What does the Bible teach on that? And sometimes I wish Jesus made it a little bit clearer. But let me give you a number of points that will help you in understanding his claim to be divine. Number one, he claimed to have come down from heaven, John 6, 38. It's with his father, came down from heaven. Secondly, he used the title Son of Man. What does that mean? It's from the book of Daniel. It's a divine person who has messianic dominion and authority. That's his description in the book of Daniel. He performed miracles and they helped to prove his claims that he is God. Now, this is what uh, John 10 says. Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said I am God's son? Do not believe me unless I do what my father does. But if I do it, even though you do not believe me, believe the miracles that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I am in the father. From his identity with the father. Further, he claimed to be God. I think, well, hold on, how? Let me show you this one. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was, I am. Just hold on to that. Before Abraham was, I am. They're talking about where did you come from? We have Abraham, Old Testament prophet. God builds the nation of Israel from Abraham. Who are you, Jesus? He said, before Abraham was born, I am. Ego ime, which is a Greek expression. I existed. I was there before him. If you think I've only just turned up now in the last 33 years, no, 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 before Abraham, I am. He uses the same expression that were used by God to reveal himself 1,400 years prior to Moses at the burning bush. Similar language. Who are you? I am who I am. As a result, those who heard Jesus rightly understood him to be declaring himself to be the eternal God who called Abraham and Moses. So they picked up stones to stone him as a blasphemer. In John 10 it says, I and the Father are one. Again the Jews picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to them, I've shown you many good works from the Father, for which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning stoning you for any good work, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you are mere man claimed to be God. See, the Jews knew that he was claiming to be divine. He was claiming to be God, and they hated him for it. They wanted to put him to death, and they put him to death for it. Not because he claimed to be a prophet, not because he just claimed to be a son of God. He claimed to be God. A number of years ago in our Christianity Explained course, there was a, a Jewish fellow coming along to our course. At that stage, he was dating a Christian girl. And so one of those awkward situations, so she invited him to Christianity Explained so he could learn more about Jesus. And as he was reading the Bible, he seemed quite interested. Then after a while, we talked about the various cults and Christianity, how they were different. And he said this, I don't understand why the cults can't accept Jesus as God. As a Jewish person who knows the Old Testament scriptures, he said, Jesus was so blatant, no wonder the Jews accused him of blasphemy. Anyone with basic eyes can see that he is claiming to be God. Further, Jesus claimed to be sinless in John 8, 46. Things that add up to the whole idea of being divine. And then he forgave sin, was accused of blasphemy as only God forgives sin. Remember that one when he heals the paralytic? 
And Jesus saw their faith. The guys came with their mate, brought him, put a hole in the, in the, in the roof, and through the ceiling they laid, laid him down to Jesus in Mark 2. They lowered him, and Jesus saw his faith, and Jesus said, Your son, your sins are forgiven. He makes a direct point to the religious leaders who don't believe that he is unique. So Jesus confronts him and says, Son, he didn't say be healed, because Jesus was making a point. Son, your sins are forgiven. Your most important need is your sins forgiven, and I can offer you forgiveness. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus, like line after line, word after word, pointing fact to the fact that he is God the Son. And they want to kill him. Because he's blaspheming. John 14, verse 6, one of the favorite verses in the Bible, he claimed to be the only way to heaven. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father but through me. Because he provides access to his Father. And finally, uh, you'll notice in the New Testament, there are titles of God that are applied to Jesus. So titles are used of God in the Old Testament and now applied to Jesus in the New Testament, indicating that he is on par with God. He is the first and the last. He is the light, he is the rock, he is the husband or the bridegroom, he is the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 23, John 10. I am the good shepherd, says Jesus. He is the redeemer, he is the saviour, he is the Lord of glory. The way the Bible describes Jesus, you see God in the Old Testament, same descriptions of Jesus in the New Testament. And in summary, C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, I'm trying to prevent anyone, anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who said the sorts of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He'd either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Friends, as we conclude this morning, we remember that Jesus' entry into the world displayed God's love for us. When you see a baby born, it speaks of love. I interested the people were holding up the love signs of the kids earlier. It's God's demonstration of his love for us that despite our rebellion, despite our wretchedness, he wants us in fellowship with him, so he sends his son to die for us. Jesus did not remain a baby, as you know, but grew up to fulfill his mission in the world. He taught the truth about God. He showed compassion to the lonely and the needy. He loved the poor and the outcast. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He wept with the hurting. He antagonized the religious leaders. He threatened the ruling authorities. He experienced personally the pain of loneliness, rejection, injustice, torture, and a cruel, horrific death on a cross, a cross normally reserved for the public enemies of the state and the dregs of the criminal justice system. It's important to know that Jesus understands our pain 
our suffering and our tragedies, for he is God with us. The Christian God is not distant and aloof, for Jesus is God with us. He understands what we go through, maybe what you're going through today or this Christmas season, the loss of a loved one, the first Christmas without that mother or father or husband or wife or son or daughter. First Christmas where you don't have enough money to pay certain bills. First Christmas where there's broken relationships in your family, you won't see certain people. Maybe a child that's, say, gone off the rails and you're hurting and you go into Christmas, I want to feel joyful, I want to celebrate, I just want to sing carols and eat good food. But there's a heaviness in your life. God understands that heaviness. God's been there as he lives on this earth, as he died on a cross. But he was raised from the dead on the third day. He is alive today and can meet your needs, give you peace, strength and hope in the days ahead. So come to him this Christmas. No matter what you're struggling with, come to him. Find hope and find joy. Let me pray. Lord God, we thank you for the grace expressed in the coming of your Son into our world. God became human that we could become sons of God. Thank you for the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of our Saviour that gives us hope. It is my prayer, Lord God, that this, at this time we would desire to know you more deeply, to love you more passionately, and to proclaim you with great faith and with great courage, that others too would share in a relationship with you through faith in Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen.